those of you that are staying here, we've been looking at the, the book of Philippians, so I want to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're slowly working our way through uh, the first chapter, and uh, I want to share with you uh, uh, some verses today that um, go along with what Jasper and Miranda just sang. You know, it's all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, today it's really a matter of life and death. And uh, Paul addresses that subject in these verses that we're going to look at this morning. And truly, the Christian life is about life and death. So if you found your way, verse uh, 18 of chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, I want to read down through verse 26 with you this morning. I hope that you'll take uh, the initiative to open the Bible to know that what I'm about to read comes right from God's Word. It's the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi from a prison cell. So if you would, one more time, yo-yo, uh, stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. I want to, again, pick up at verse 18. We left off last week there, but it's the latter part of the, the verse, but... I want to begin with reading verse 18. What then? What should we do then after all of these things have taken place? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and Paul says, Therefore do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation of my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness of always, so also Christ shall be manifest, magnified in my body, rather it by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, that yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am straight betwixt the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for all the furtherance of the joy of the faith, that your rejoicing may be more abound in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Father, as we bow before you this morning, after hearing the word of the Lord, I'm reminded of the week in which has been a roller coaster of a ride, and it's been standing at death's door with folks, but yet, like the Apostle Paul, knowing that what is waiting on the other side is far better than what is waiting for us back here, but yet, Lord, for whatever reason, you have chosen, like the Apostle Paul, for some to remain here instead of going there. And therefore, Lord, as I've thought about these verses throughout the week, Lord, it has reminded me that, that the Christian life is all about life or death. And Lord, how we live it and what we will receive from it. So Lord, I pray that you would move me, your servant, out of the way, take my feeble words and use them to the honor and glory of my God and my Savior so that those that are here among us might know that we need to choose the right life in this life so that when it comes time for death, we will experience the right death. 
Oh, Father, would you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, speak to every single heart here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I'll let you sit for a few minutes while I preach. I want to begin with a story, and it says a young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was the Prime Minister of England and said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time in which I want to lay out before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law, he said. Yes, said the great statesman. And what then? Then, sir, I would like to gain entrance into the bar of England. Yes, young man. And then, what's then? Yes, sir, I hope to have placed a place in the parliament in the house of the lords. Yes, young man. What then? Pressed Gladstone. Well, then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man. And what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man, and what then? He asked sternly. Well, then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man, and what then? The young man hesitated for a moment and then said, I've never thought about it that far ahead in the future. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said to the young man, You're a fool. Go home and think through life to that point of life. You see, many of us are like that young man. We have plans and we have hopes for the future, but it's just during our time here Well, let me just remind you that this time that we spend here is but a drop in the bucket to the time of eternity that we will spend. Every one of us are an eternal being. Every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. It matters what we decide and what we do here that determines where that eternity will be spent. I say to you, think about your future. Today, the Apostle Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we have to choose where we will spend eternity. So I wonder, how many of you have goals for life? An overall purpose for living that drives you and motivates you and determines your plans and measures your decisions in life. Everyone is living for something. What do you hope to accomplish in this life? What if, what in this life, if you left undone at the end of your days, on your deathbed, you would say, my life has been incomplete because I did not accomplish this? I found this. For those of you that are wondering, how can I get more days? I found the secret to immortality. And it goes something like this. God has put each of us here on earth to accomplish a certain goal in life. And I have come to realize 
that I am so far behind that I'm going to have to live forever. So the truth of the matter is, if you want to live forever, just say, Lord, this is what I've got to accomplish, and I'm so far behind, I don't have time to die. But the truth of the matter is, one out of one dies. Every one of us are going to face that reality someday, one day. And the question really is, where are we going to spend eternity when we do? So what is it that you want to accomplish? What is your major goal in life? And if you were to die today, would your goal be cut short? Most of us would say, Rightfully so, well, of course it would. I I didn't live to the, the fullness of my life. I guess if we're counting on long life and being able to fulfill certain goals, that may be the case. The Apostle Paul discovered a life goal that he once found that no one could take away from him. He wrote these words to the, the Philippians from a prison cell. And he said, you know what? Even this prison cannot affect my goal in life. Not only was he in prison, but we know from reading the life of Paul that he was waiting a verdict that could possibly end his life. Death by execution was a very strong possibility for Paul. But it too seemed to make no significant difference to the goal of his life. He would accomplish his goal regardless. Inconvenience, obstacles, suffering or sickness, imprisonment or even death. Nothing could stand between Paul and obtaining his goal. Now you might be sitting there and wondering, well what is that goal that Paul had that none of these things could take away. Well, our text that we read this morning shared with us three goals that Paul had that none of those things could take away because the Apostle Paul assured us that because he first put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the redemption of his soul, that the goals that he had set in his life God was already meeting. So I want to look at three goals that the Apostle Paul sets here. First of all, Paul's goal to honor Christ. In verses 18 through 20, we find that the Apostle Paul set a goal to honor Christ. Now I want you to remember, Paul is in prison facing the possibility of a death sentence. It usually doesn't get much worse than that. Now, for sake of understanding, I want you to take all the problems that you might have had this week and ask yourself, would I trade them for the life in which Paul had? (laughs) Do I want to trade my problems for his problems? Do I want to find myself facing a death sentence this week? But yet, when we think about Paul, we realize that we don't want his life Yet we look at him and he's not worried, he's not whimpering, he's not whining. Instead, verse 18 says, but rather I want to rejoice. I want to rejoice in the Lord. Yea, will I rejoice, Paul said. 
Last week we saw Paul rejoicing because Christ was being preached, not just because they were preaching to get at Paul, but because Christ was being preached and the gospel was going forth. Now we learn that Paul has another reason for rejoicing. He has the confidence that he will be delivered in the time of his trouble. Look with me, if you would, to verses 18 and 19, and listen to what the Apostle Paul says again. Yea, and I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn out to my salvation through your prayer and support of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, at first glance, you might read this and think that Paul is talking about this kind of deliverance. He's talking about freedom from prison. He's saying, you know what, I believe that because of your prayers, God's going to set me free from this entrapment of jail. And later in verse 25, we find that that is actually his expectation. But I believe when we dig deeper into the understanding of what Paul is saying here and the, the passion and desire of Paul's heart, there is a deeper thing in which Paul is addressing here. As a matter of fact, we've got to go to an Old Testament book of the Bible to kind of find a contemporary of Paul by the name of Job. You know, there's probably nobody in the Old Testament that suffered quite the way that Job did, and perhaps nobody in the New Testament that suffered quite the way that the Apostle Paul did. Now, again, I'm not discounting the suffering of Christ. It's beyond all of that. But for human beings uh, that were not God... These two men took upon themselves in this world that we live in, perhaps these two men were the most, the Old Testament, New Testament, and even to date, the men that have suffered the most in this world. And yet the the, uh, scripture tells us that Job shares with us here in Job 13, starting in verse 15, he says, Though God slay me, yet I trust him. I will surely defend uh, my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless man would dare come before him. Like Paul, Job was going through the most difficult things of his life. But Job was confident that when it was all said and done, God would vindicate him and declare him innocent of all wrongdoings. Now remember Job's four friends? Job, what have you done? Job, you certainly must be arrogant. God is whooping up on you, boy. I mean, we looked at it last week. Paul had the same thing. People were saying, well, Paul, you deserve what you get. You belong in prison. Man, you, you stirred up the wrong hornet's nest. Paul and Job... We're standing before the Lord saying, God, we didn't bring this upon ourselves because of any wrongdoing. You have allowed this into our life for your glory, for your honor. And so, Lord, we believe with all of our heart that when it's said and done, when we stand before you, when we look eye to eye to Jesus, we will be vindicated because we are innocent in him and therefore he has made us innocent through his blood. When you and I stand before the Father, he's not going to look at us and see our sinfulness. He's going to look at us and see the righteousness of His Son and say, vindicated. Without fault, without wrongdoing. Paul is confident that he will stand the test of time. But his confidence is not based upon his own character. 
his own determination, and not even his own power. No, Paul says that he draws his confidence from two sources here in this verse. If we look and he says, I know that I shall turn to my salvation through your prayers, first of all, through the prayers of the people. We prayed one for another because it is that which helps us to get through the things in which we need to get through in this life. And then, isn't it great to know that we are not left here to figure it out on our own, but we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit? who lives within us and dwells among us. And Paul says in, in this verse, he says, not only through the prayers of the saints, but through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I know that I have all that I need to see me through. The two are virtually connected. As the Philippians pray for him, the Holy Spirit comes and answers those prayers and gives Paul the power to stand upon the principles God. Paul was relying on the prayers of God's people to furnish the supply of the Holy Spirit that was needed in order to stand strong under the persecution of the faith. Church, let me just say, what we did this morning is going to be needed much more in the days ahead. We're going to need the prayers of the saints so that the Spirit of God will see us through the persecution of this world that's coming for the church. We've seen it greatly in the last two years, and I believe that it is only the beginning of the floodgates that God is going to allow Satan to open upon his church so that he might draw his church back from the waywardness of the worldliness of this church. And, and, and I'm not talking about midway in, 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 in general. I'm talking about the church. The worldliness that the church is living in today instead of the holiness in which we are to live in today. This is exactly what Paul was saying in verse 20 when he said this, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's goal was for Christ to be exalted in his body, rather through his life, or through his death. He was fully confident that, that he would not be ashamed before the Lord, uh, but that he would have sufficient courage to stand before his accusers with the gospel of Jesus Christ and unashamedly say, I stand upon it and it alone. We don't know for sure whether Paul was released from this imprisonment unharmed by or unbeaten by the, the things of the law of that time. But we know this, his passionate desire for Christ to be exalted through his testimony was certainly fulfilled throughout his life. And you might be wondering how that Paul could stand so strong and, and, and facing such tragedy, such opposition, Listen to what he says in the final words of, of verse 20. As always, so now also. That doesn't say anything to me. That doesn't mean anything. What, what in the world was Paul saying? Paul had been a Christian for over 30 years. 
And what he was saying, my friends, is what you and I, who have been in the Lord that many years or more, should be able to say today as well. My God was faithful to take me out of my sin and give me a new nature and to be faithful to live and love and let me serve Him all of these years as He was faithful then. He is faithful now. And I know that no matter what I go through today, I know because of what He has done for me in the past, He will do for me today and my future is secure in Him. Whether I live or whether I die, I do it in the Lord. The Apostle Paul wanted us to know that as a faithful, God-honoring Christian, he knew that God was faithful then and he would be faithful now. Honoring Christ was the pattern of Paul's life. Church, if we want to be ready for the crises that are coming, we need to set that pattern in our life today. We need to set the pattern of honoring Christ. Paul wasn't playing and praying for something different to happen. He wasn't hoping that God would do something, but he was rather willing to face death. He was simply praying that whatever was already true in his life would remain true through his life. The second thing that we see is Paul's goal for living. Look at verse 21. We see the goal that he was living for. As we move into verse 21, Paul states his purpose for living It's a powerful statement. It's succinct in its expression. It's sweeping in its scope. Listen to what it says. For to me, to live, thank you, sweetie, is Christ, and to die is gain. This was Paul's life goal. It's that very thing that could not be taken away. It's the very thing that he found at the moment of salvation when God changed him from the sinner to the saint. He said, God, you've already given me my life's goal. It can't be taken away. For me to live is you. For me to die and be taken out of this world, that's for me. That's for me. Now when you read these verses, we need to recognize the, the goal that Paul has set. You know, we think about it and we look at his verse and you say, for me to live is what? To serve Christ? To praise Christ? To share Christ? All of those are implied in the phrase in which Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He didn't have to point out every little detail. He said, everything that I do, it reflects Him. Him. 
all these are implied in the phrase by Paul's purpose for living. It wasn't any one action, no matter how noble or good. He wasn't living for the things. He was living for the person, for the relationship. Let me just remind you that God is more concerned with you being in Christ than you doing something and saying it's for Christ. He is more involved in our personal relationship than he is in all the things that we can do. But you know what? The, the church has been duped to think that we got to be doing everything so that we're so busy doing that we don't have time to be who God's called us to be. You know, the truth is some people live destructive lives. They do things such as drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things. Others live for unworthy things like entertainment, pleasure, or money. Some people live for good things like family and children, public service, or some other just cause. Still others live for religious things like church and prayer or righteous works. Paul says that none of these things will do it for him. None of these things are what he's looking for in life. He says, for me to live is Christ. It's not about doing, it's about being, being in relationship with my Savior, Christ. And then he goes on to say that, you know, for all of us, someday life is going to end. But for me to die is gain. Because Paul's entire life's goal was wrapped up in the person of Christ, loving Christ, serving Christ, knowing Christ, honoring Christ, neither death nor prison could interfere with the goal that he has been given in his life. Life meant Christ and therefore death was a gain and for death simply meant more of Christ. Think about it, Paul said it like this in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We, we say it at funerals. We say it at gravesides. We say it to encourage the saints when they've lost a loved one. For me to die is, is gain. But listen, Paul said, listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, listen, you can take me out of this body and that's okay because what it does for me is it says more of Christ. I'm no longer uh, talking to him and about him. I'm talking with him and living with him. For me to live is Christ. But for me to die is more Christ. For I'm taken out of the things of this world and I'm brought into the very presence of God. Paul's faithful confession unto death or, or through his release and uh, significant or subsequent service to the Lord. He said, for me to live is Christ. If I'm out of this, you can bet your bottom dollar I will be back doing everything for Christ. I will be serving my Savior with you. But he said, if I die, don't worry about me. Don't cry over me. For I know that I got more of Christ than I've had before. I'll tell you, you'll find hard-pressed to find a finer or truer goal or purpose in life than that. 
If you want to have a life's goal that, that you can be assured of that will be successful at the end, there it is. For Christ. To live is for Christ. And I want you to look at verses 22 and 20 through 26 and Paul's goal in the face of death. Because he knows that it's a possibility. All of us know that it's a possibility. We've seen Paul's goal to honor Christ. His, he, he wanted to honor Christ in everything that he did. And we looked at his goal for living, and it was for Christ. So we need to examine Paul's goal in the face of death. We've already seen that life or death made no difference to Paul's goal. His goal was Christ, and neither life nor death could interfere with that. His goal here is not concerning him himself, but concerning the Philippians. In verses 22 through 24, he says, But if I live in the flesh, if I continue to live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I know not. For I am straight betwixt the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better than being in this world. Nevertheless, I'm feeling pulled to remain here to continue to serve the Lord with you in the flesh. Because I know that my service to the Lord for you, Paul says, will be helpful to you. Paul was not afraid of death, but he knew if he kept on living, he could be of useful service to the Lord. Now, I want to take you back to the night that our Lord was betrayed, and I want to remind you of a prayer that he prayed. The night in the garden when the Lord was being betrayed by Judas, he fell upon his face before the Lord, and he said this, Lord, if it's thy will, let this cup pass from me. And what was he talking about? He said, Lord, if there's another way to save humanity other than dying on the cross, let it be so. Jesus wasn't saying, Lord, I don't want to go. I'm not going. Unless you twist my arm. That's not what he was saying. He simply was saying, just as like the Apostle Paul, if I die, great. But if I live, it has to have a purpose. Jesus went on to pray that night, and he said, Lord, if it's not your will, but it's your will that I go to the cross, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was Jesus saying? Father, I, I am here to do your bidding. And if this is the only way of redemption for humanity, then I am all in. The Apostle Paul said that very same thing in this prayer. Father, if you're not going to take me home and take me out of the suffering of this world, then Lord, leave me here with a purpose to help further the kingdom of God while I'm here on this world. 
Paul said he was straight betwixt the two. And I don't know if you know what that means, but you know that, that's one of them terms that literally means he was being pressed on both sides. He was being pulled by two horses. You know? Paul's whole life was Christ. But as, he, as we close, we find that even as we close our life, we may grow in Christ. But there's nothing better than being with Christ. Nothing compares to what awaits us in heaven. In fact, the closer we grow in our relationship with Christ, the more heaven looks appealing. The more that we say, you know what? I'm ready to let go of the things of this world. Because it means being closer to the one who is in that world. Paul was struggling. I want to go home to be with Jesus, but I know that there is still need for me work for me to be done. I prayed this prayer over folks this week, over Debbie, even though I wasn't there. I prayed this prayer over Tim. Lord, if there's nothing left for them to do here, then you take them out of the suffering of this world and you bring them into the glory of heaven because I know it is a greater place but if there is yet something for them to do, then Lord, spare them. Bring them back so they can fulfill that purpose in you. The Apostle Paul was so concerned for the saints at Philippi that he said, I'm willing to give up heaven for now, for you. But you know that this selfless act of Paul was not the only selfless act that Paul prayed. In the book of Romans, Paul prayed another prayer. And the fact that he said, Lord, here's what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to go to hell if my countrymen can come to you. How many of us are willing to pray? Lord, I'm willing to go to hell my wicked neighbor over there could just come to know you. Paul, one of the most unselfish Christians that I've ever read about, said, listen, I'm willing to give up heaven for someone else to get there. I wonder how many of us are willing to give up our recliners to go to our neighbor's so that they might get there. Let me close. I'm sure that everybody in this room has read or watched Alice in Wonderland. In Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, Alice was asked by the Cheshire Cat, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? The cat replied, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice then said, I don't much care where. 
And it doesn't matter which way you go, says the cat. You're sure to get somewhere if you only walk long enough. There's a spiritual lesson in that. If we don't know where we want to go in eternity, just keep walking in the dark. You'll get there. Where? Somewhere. It's going to be somewhere that you're not going to want to go. I can promise you that. If we don't get out of the darkness into His marvelous light, we are all doomed for walking off the cliff. The Bible says that cliff is the road that leads to destruction, a place called hell. It's a matter of life and death. Today is a day of decision to choose. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go from here? I don't mean where you're going to lunch. I mean, where do you want to go when life is done? Oh, I got a lot. I'm just a teenager. I got a lot of life left to live. No, none of us are promised tomorrow. Not even you. Death is not a respecter of age. But I'm in good health. I, I, I just went to the doctors last week. He said, all's good. Death is not a respecter of health. God says today is the day in which we must make sure that we know where we're going to spend eternity. So let me ask you this. If you want to go to heaven, you need to fill in this blank. What am I living for? For me to live is what? Money, success, happiness, pleasure, fun, good times, family. What would you put in that blank? Listen, my friends, if you put anything in there other than Christ, then when you die, your death is going to be a terrible loss. But if with Paul we can honestly evaluate our life and say for me to live is Christ, then we can say with confidence, for me when I die, it will be gain. Again, we're all going to die someday. You've all heard it said, death and taxes are the two inevitables. And either one of them is closer than you think. Tax time's upon us. So could death be. When you die, will it be a gain? Or will it be a loss? Depends on what you are living for. Better yet, it depends on whom you have been living for. For me to live is Christ. If that's your life today, then life or death is a game. If not, Andy's going to come and sing a song I asked him to sing to close us out. I want you to listen to the words that if you cannot say that I'm a winner either way, I'm going to be standing right down here I'm going to ask you to come and let me speak with you today about what it means to be a winner.
what it means to live for Christ. What it means to know that when life is over, your death will be a gain and not a